months of waiting and what feels like an eternity. It's time for the return. Oh, well, Superbikes is back too. Welcome to my life. Let's go! Yes, this is episode 47 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101 and our second of the week following off from our Valentino Rossi special earlier in the week, episode VR46. This one, though, is a special in its own right because we are previewing the brand new World Superbike season, which gets underway in a matter of hours uh, over in Phillip Island. We will give you the full rundown on the grid for this season, the key rule change, which looks like turning the grid upside down. Um, and we'll also hear from the voice of World Superbikes, Greg Haynes of Eurosport, has joined us to give us the full lowdown on each of the seven major manufacturers taking part in this year's championship and how the rule changes are likely to affect them. It's such an exciting season coming up as Jonathan Ray goes in search of an unprecedented fourth consecutive World Superbike Championship. Is there anybody, realistically, that can stop him? Uh, we will discuss that over the course of the next hour and a half or so in brackets. Probably not. Um, I'm Lewis Sotheby. Uh, it's a very warm welcome to you for another World Superbike season. Uh, and it's at this point in the show that I would normally, if you've been listening regularly, introduce Andre Harrison. However, um, Dre's not with us this week. He has uh, nobly stepped aside because Rebecca James finally, after what seems like an eternity away, has returned to the show. Bex, where the hell have you been? <laughs> I am so sorry. I've had a sabbatical from absolutely everything and I am back and ready to go for the 2018 season. I am so thrilled to be back. It's been a long time coming. Uh, July, I think it was, was the last time I was on. Um, so I've missed the whole hot, uh, second half of last season. Quite I watched you on TV. I just the other was... side of the world and back in that time. <clears throat> I have genuinely, genuinely been to the other side of the world and missed the MotoGP race that while I was over in Australia by 72 hours um because that was really yeah, bad on my best part <laughs> i was i was in the country and i was just an hour away on a plane but i was in adelaide when the race was happening so i just had to settle and watch it on tv which is what i did um but i should have been there i went to the other side of the world and missed the race i mean who does that <laughs> how can you be that stupid to book a trip of a lifetime and not factor in the fact that you're over there for the MotoGP. That's Bex. Uh, yeah. Right then, let's, uh, yeah. Yeah, let's tell you first of all, before we get on with this, about the places you can find us. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. On Twitter, um, we are at motorsport underscore 101. Or if you want to follow us individually, at Harrison101HD for the absent Dre. Um, at Lewis, so be 23 for myself. And if you want to um, send in your messages of uh, gratitude that Bex has returned, at Beck underscore J93. Um, on Twitter, it's been, it's been a long time since you've been on. I'm assuming that hasn't changed, right? No, it's definitely still the same. Still the same. I'm not imagining enough to think of anything else, no, no. so it's still the same. No, no, it's still the same. So um, yeah, over the next 24 hours, if uh, if the uh, blue and black bikes are anywhere near the front, you might want to give that a follow. Mm-hmm. Um, the other places you can find is <laughs> youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, our website is motorsport101.net, and if you want us, uh, you like a, want you like us so much that you want to earn yourself early access. Um, to each of our weekly shows. You can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash uh, motorsport101, where you can find, as I mentioned, our previous episode, which went up on Tuesday night, um, episode VR46, The Doctor Will See You Now, where Dre and I uh, looked at the career of Valentino Rossi and everything that makes him tick. Over the course of the next 24 hours or so, you will also have episode 123 
of Motorsport 101 um, with Dre, King and RJ O'Connell. So keep an eye out for that as well as they talk all about the Daytona 500 and the first of the Formula 1 car launches. So uh, keep an eye out uh, for that. Uh, right then, let's talk World Superbikes and look ahead to the new season. We'll start by talking about the end of last season as Jonathan Ray um, won his third consecutive World Championship, something that had never been done in history of the World Superbike Championship with a record points total of 556 championship points. He won the title by 153 from Ducati's Chaz Davies, who took the runner-up spot in that final race uh, when Tom Sykes hit the deck. Sykes ended the season in third, just ahead of Marco Malandri with the Yamahas of Alex Lowe's and Michael Vandermark, fifth and sixth respectively. Chevy Forez in 7th uh, on the Ducati, ahead of Leon Camier on the MV Augusta, Jordi Torres on the BMW, and Eugene Laverty on the Aprilia, completing the top 10. Um, we'll come on to this season uh, at much greater length in a second, Bex, but first of all, Jonathan Ray's ascent to what well, a greatness, World Superbike greatness at the end of last year. It was incredible, and what a year it ended up being for him. An MBE, a record-breaking World Superbike run, and very nearly the BBC Sports Personality of the Year as well. I mean, is there any way of Jonathan Ray even possibly following that? Um, yes, by breaking even more records and adding the fourth title, which I think is more than likely going to happen. But can I just add, I physically ran out of all the platforms that I could possibly vote on. I used <laughs> yes. my mum's phone, my dad's phone, my phone, my laptop, my iPad, anything possible I could have used to vote for him as well to, um, as uh, sports yeah, person of the year. I voted. One. Yeah. And I was literally, I was just, I was so tempted to knock on my neighbour's house to see if I could borrow their phone to start voting on their phones. But I'm, I'm still gutted that they didn't quite win it. But hey-ho, at least we finally got a bit of recognition. That's that's all we could have hoped for. And Jonathan Ray again put in motorsport on the map with, uh, as you said, nearly being victorious with uh, Sports Personality of the Year. Maybe this year, maybe. Yeah, you never know. The way maybe he's going, year. he might well uh, go on better this year. And uh, yeah, as you said, what an ambassador for the sport and for putting motorcycle racing on the map the way he did was was sensational. Mm -hmm. um, let's look at the calendar then for this year and the way this Superbike season is going to shape up. It gets underway this weekend, uh, as always, the final weekend of February at Philippound in Australia. Uh, practice is already underway there. We'll tell you how that's been going later on. Um, the second round of the championship is in exactly one month's time. They head to Thailand for round two. Uh, the European season and, as a result, the Supersport 300 and Superstock 1000 seasons get underway um, on April the 14th and 15th at Aragon. Um, Aston follows a week later as World Superbikes introduces back-to-back -back weekends for the first time in a long time. The first of two Italian yes. rounds is at Imola on the 12th and 13th of May. Uh, if Tom Sykes hasn't won a race by this point, pencil in the 26th of May because that's when we head to Donington. Um, Bruno returns to the championship in June. A welcome return for that circuit. Universally popular, 9th and 10th of June for that. Uh, Laguna Seca um, hosts the United States round on the 23rd and 24th of June before we return to Europe and return to Italy for Mizano on the 7th and 8th of July. Now for the bad news. That is followed by a 10-week summer break. 10 weeks nah. um, before round 10. That's, I'm sure we only had eight weeks last no, year. extended it for some bizarre reason this year. Portimao Ugh. round 10 is on the 15th and 16th of September um, for round 10. Why? Uh, don't get me started. Uh, round 11 uh, <laughs> follows at Magni Court. That's the final of the European rounds on the final weekend of September before two rounds to fly to end the season. Uh, one of them has an asterisk next to it, the Argentine round at the new Villacum circuit on the 13th and 14th of October. That is subject to the circuit being completed. Um, if it isn't, there is likely to be a stand-in round, possibly at Jerez, um, that fills in for that. Um, and the championship, as for the last few years, 
closes under the lights at La Salle in Qatar on Friday the 26th and Saturday the 27th of October. Uh, a long way to go though before we get to that point and World Superbikes and the World Superbike Commission, Dorna and the FIM have taken steps over the winter to try and ensure that we arrive in Qatar at the end of the season with slightly more of an open championship uh, than we have in the last few <coughs> years. Um, and they're, nice try. Yeah, and they're, they're making no sort of secret, are they, Bex, about how they're trying to do this. Of course, last year they tried to close the field up and try and spice things up and make things a little more variable by introducing the semi-reverse grid format for the second race of the weekend, the mm. format which incidentally is still in place for this year, um, where the fourth mm. place finisher of race two start of race one starts race two from pole and the front three have to go to row three. Um, that is still in place for this year, but in addition to that, they've introduced rib limits for each manufacturer where they are essentially capped to a percentage of the road bike's initial uh, rev limit. Um, that could then be scaled back at three round intervals as the season goes on. So after Aragon, after Donington Park and after Mizano, um, those rev limits will be reviewed and potentially tweaked based on how each manufacturer is doing. Um, two schools of thought on this, Bex. One of which is something had to be done. They had to try and do something to mix the field up and level the playing field, and they should be praised for trying to level the playing field. There's another school of thought, especially if you're wearing black and green, that this is a blatant attempt to punish Kawasaki for being good at their job. Which camp do you fit into? I'm kind of on the fence. Purely because I agree something needs to be done. And I, anyone that's listened to the show, when I've, whenever I've been on, I am a huge advocate. I absolutely adore World Superbikes. It is my favourite series. And everyone asks me the questions every single time. Why do you prefer it to MotoGP? And I don't know. I can't give you a reason. But I just, I genuinely, I just love it. And... I am so glad that they're attempting to make the the gap between the front runners just a little bit smaller to try and give us a little bit more of a title chance. And if you're an Alex Lowe's fan, a little bit more of an advantage. Like I, I, that's the only Why reason I'm, little, I'm a little bit in that, that camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it gets to the GP, forget about Superbox. I won't be watching that on a weekend. No. Um, maybe next year. We'll get onto that. I'll come on to... And our lengthy discussion on why I think that is a possibility. But I think it's a good... They had to be seen to do something. And this is them doing something. Whether I fully agree on the way they've gone about things, no, I probably don't. Because as with life, um, you tend to get punished the, the harder you work. And uh, there's a favourite little meme of mine that um, when, you, when you're when you so good at your job, you, end up, you, get, to, you get to do everyone else's as well. And... I just feel so sorry for the guys at Kawasaki that they they work hard and they are good at their job. And now for some, you know, just because of that, they, they, they're getting set back. And because you get the review um, three times during the season, if they're, from my understanding, if they're doing, if it still hasn't worked by the time we get to the, the first review, they're going to get hit again to try and it's bring them back like, even more. Like and then the same again. To keep pegging you back until the field have caught you up. Yeah, that's what I mean. And that is something that I don't agree with. They've put something in place. This is where I don't agree with. I don't agree with the three chances of review. They've put a, 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 rev, a limit in place. That's fine. Yeah, it, that's supposedly going to bring everyone closer together. If that still does not work and Jonathan Ray or Tom Sykes or any one of the, you know, the Kawasaki ZX-10R guys are still romping the field, 
that's just be. I think that's purely now down to just sheer rider ability. They're just because they're the best. Absolutely immense riders. They're if you've picked them back already at the start of the season, it's not the fact it's the bike now. It's purely the fact that the the sheer rider ability that are the best. And to hit them again three rounds in, and to hit them again six rounds in, they're still stomping away. And to hit them again nine rounds in. I just that's the bit I don't agree with. I think that's just a little bit too much, and that is just right. You're too good. We want to stop you, and that for me takes away the. It's meant to be. Kind of a free for all, you know. You get rewarded, and you get the points, and you get the race wins for being the best and winning the races. And when you're going to be having such an unfair advantage because you've been pegged back so much compared to the other guys, I just that's that's the bit that grinds me a little bit. It kind of takes away the definition of sport. And the definition of like fair competition, mm. because their bikes are now going to be at such a disadvantage. It's kind of going to be well, if he does, if Jonathan Ray does, you know, he can't cope with the with such a deficit now. If he gets hit three times or whatever, are we going to get a true world champion? Is he going to tighten it up so much that he's not going to be able to hold on to any lead that he's got in the in the final few rounds? Are we going to get a true world champion this year? Mm. Maybe not. If he gets affected so much, if he gets hit three times and punished three times, I'm not saying Jonathan Ray's going to win the championship. I'm just using that as an example. You know, if he gets hit three straight times and pegged back three straight times to try and bring it closer, by the time the th- that third time after round nine happens, we might he might be so far, his engine might be so restricted, his race might be so restricted now that he won't be able to catch up and he won't be able to hang on and he won't be for the la- the last few rounds and he might lose that lead and he lose in retrospect lose the title now if that was me and say arguments like it was Chaz Davis behind him and Chaz Davis won the title at the end of the year if I was Chaz Davis I'd be like well am I really the world champion did I deserve that have I only won it because they've restricted his bike so much it was physically impossible for him to keep up or am I actually genuinely that good that I beat him and I don't think now with those restrictions in place that we're going to get a true world champion if that's how it plays towards the end because they're going to restrict the Kawasaki so much, mm. and that's that's a bit of a bit of pill for me to swallow. Mm. Just to uh, give you the full explanation by the World Superbike official website, the uh, rev limit, the balancing system using air restrictors has been replaced with a rev limiting system. The rev limit can be altered at various points throughout the season, as we've outlined, and applies to each individual manufacturer. So some manufacturers can be pegged back more than others based on uh, success. Uh, the rev limits will apply to individual manufacturers and have been implemented to provide more parity throughout the championship in order to balance performance of riders. Bringing a greater challenge to riders, the cream will continue to rise to the top as riders have to work with more or less power. Altered at various points of the season, it will ensure to keep riders and teams on their toes as the power of the machine can vary throughout the year, depending on the success. Um, and as Greg Haynes outlines, when you hear from him later on, he, he makes the point that if Kawasaki continues to be pegged back at each of those three intervals through the season, they might end the season with a lower rev limit than their actual road bike has um, if it keeps getting pegged back um, throughout the season. Um, there's a secondary point to this as well, and that's the point of concessions, which has also been introduced over this season. A concession point system uh, is being introduced to restrict engine development of the fastest machines. At certain stages in the season, Teams that have achieved fewer concessions points, which is based on their achievements on the track, similar to the MotoGP idea in recent years where we've seen Suzuki um, lose concessions because they had podiums in the dry and so on. Um, At certain stages in the season, the teams that have achieved the fewest concession points will be allowed to introduce updated concession parts, Um, which on the face of it, again, Bex, sounds fine. Um, But you look at certain teams down the field, certainly the likes of MV Augusta, I don't think 
being mm-hmm. able to in- introduce concessionary parks is the problem. I don't think they can even afford to do that. No, I mean, it seems that they're trying everything that is right with, that can be right with the sport, but implementing it in, in a wrong way. Like, for, for me, the concessions is like you, an attempt to, br- to bring that, that bike level. But as you say, with a team like MV Augusta that rode, that did so well last season just because it was a sheer freak rider on the bike that should not have been able to make that bike do anything with Leon Camier. And it, it's, I think he's going to go on further this season and really prove that it wasn't the bike and the way they were developing the bike. It was just he was a machine and making it too god-awful things that he shouldn't have been able to do. But for, for a team like MV Augusta, as you said, they, they physically cannot afford that. And it, it could be suicide for them financially to try and bring the bike on with what their what world superbox are allowing them to do but in the in the background the team itself isn't able to do does that make sense so world superbox are going yeah you've got this free pass because it is a free pass let's be honest it's, it's got a fancy name it's called a concession but it's a free pass to try and bring you back up the the grid a little bit <clears throat> You've got this. Go ahead. Go and do whatever the heck you want. You within mm. this guideline, you can do it. Not a problem. Mm. But the team itself is so limited and so restricted in the background that they're thinking, yeah, that's great. But can I can I have a little bit more money to just afford to do the, what you are allowing me to do? Because it's just it could be financial suicide. And as I say, like, I don't want teams to think, oh yeah, I can do this and it not work and actually be a detriment to the team in the long run because they might not be able to run next year. Yeah, it, it, might, so. it might well benefit certain teams if there are certainly big teams that are underperforming early on, like, for instance, Red Bull Honda, who might well be improving this year. If they start the season poorly, or Aprilia start the season poorly and find themselves with uh, fewer concession points and are therefore able to develop and catch up when they already have a competitive bike, and that will mix the mm-hmm. order up. Um, just to, again, just to confirm and outline um, how it's going to work... Um, the concession points are going to be introduced throughout the season. Points will be awarded when a manufacturer finishes on the podium. Three points for a win, two for second position, and one for third. Um, in a bit to see struggling manufacturers improve throughout the season, the ones with the least points will be able to introduce new parts. Uh, evening out the teams, it will mean riders are able to ride similar machinery and fans should therefore be treated to a larger variety of race winners on top of closer battles at the front, um, which is the intention. Um, one other point that needs to be made on this, which I think is an all-round agreed positive, um, it says, as a secondary benefit, the private teams will get access to cost-capped engine parts to help them reach performance levels similar to the factory-supported teams. Which means that essentially, if you are a Toprak Rasgatioglu on the Pachetti Kawasaki, or the Andro Mercado, who's on a fa- on a um, customer Kawasaki, or let's take another for instance, PJ Jacobson, who's on the Triple M Honda. We've got Andre Jezek, who's on a customer Yamaha with the Grandolini team. They, in theory could receive parts which would bring them or bring their motorcycle much closer to the factory teams and therefore give those teams and those riders more of a chance of competing Bex. It's also a better incentive as well, I think, um, because the, the closer you can get to the factory guys and the more competitive you can be, like the the, the more your riding style, for the, especially for the guys like Radgatioglu and, and the guys like Lower Down that are going to in a few years be fighting for those factory seats they'll be nearer to the factory standard in the, in the first place anyway so I think in, in terms of that sense it's, it can only be a good thing that you're going to be able to get those allowances 
Right then, let's let's move on and let's talk about the key factory teams then, who are going to be in all probability doing a lot of the racing up at the front, whether Dorna and the uh, World Two Fight Commission wants them to or not. And let's start at Kawasaki, of course, the reigning world champions, um, and Jonathan Ray, who is going in search of a fourth consecutive uh, world title. He is most certainly Bex the focus of these rule changes is essentially to try and pull him back towards the field a bit because if you look at the back end of last season it wasn't as if even Kawasaki were dominant because Sykes was still battling with the Ducatis it was just that Jonathan Ray was on a completely different level to anyone else in the series and that's the thing that I was trying to portray earlier I just think that it was just he's just a pure machine and we talk about it a lot in GP with Mark Marquez being superhuman and he can just pull off results that are just out of this world and Jonathan Reagan as soon as he gets on a on a little sh- on, on his streak there is no one in this world that can stop him he is he has managed to get that Kawasaki singing his tune and riding his race and it is not an issue for him as soon as he gets on that bike he's in his own little world and can win that race any race no matter what and I think that's purely because of his riding style and the understanding he has of that bike and yeah these cons- um, the, the rule changes and everything that's been brought in is to try and peg him back but on the flip side it's all well and good trying to limit his machinery but the riders have got to be prepared to try and limit him as a person that's do- trying to build up in this pre-season his mental strength his physical ability everything that he does in his pre-season training I would expect the rest of the guys in the field to be doing something more than that to try and limit him as a rider because he is so physically and mentally strong on the bike. You can limit the bike all at one. I don't think it'll have that much of an impact until it gets to when you're getting when you're hitting him and limit him again and you're hitting him and you limit him again because I honestly think he will still break through and he will still be really really pushing that Kawasaki and I think ultimately he still will be the top dog at the end of the season. There's been I just, there's been questions, about what, there's been questions about what motivates Jonathan Ray at this stage, given that he's he is so dominant. He's been untouchable for three years now. Um, but I suppose what will motivate him, Bex, as well as the rule changes, because he'll himself want to shove this back down Dorner and back down the series' his throats to say that, look, you've tried actively to try and stop me and you haven't managed it. Um, I'm still the best. Um, but also records, I think, are in Jonathan Ray's mind. He meant a lot to him, I think, to take that points record at the end of last season. But... Jonathan Ray is five race wins short of Carl Fogarty as the all-time most race victories in the championship history. Fogarty has 59, so Jonathan Ray, in theory, by the end of Aragon, round three, could have overpassed that. Um, <laughs> and he's also on three world titles, one short of Fogarty's all-time record of four. Um, by the end of this season, Bex, could we literally be talking, if we're not already, about Jonathan Ray, the greatest world superbike racer of them all? 100%. A hundred, a hundred, a hundred percent. I... You can throw as many spanners in the work to try and stop him, and it's just—it's just never going to happen. He's an absolutely outstanding, fantastic rider, and the results may not have gone his way in previous years when he was still with Honda, but he showed commitment and loyalty. And now he's gone to—I don't want to say a bigger and better team because Honda is still, you know, they're still up there. Um, but he's gone to a team where it's maybe slightly more organised. It's just everything works in the background for him. He's so settled and so happy. And everything just go, you know. I want to say, look breeds luck, but I don't think it's luck in his case. It's just genuinely he is that good of a rider, and 
I think by the time we get to the end of the season and he's won his fourth consecutive world title and he's literally smashed every record book in the world, we need to be thinking, well, where next for him? Does he come back a fifth time? Does he go on to something else? Because he will be, ultimately, he'll have beat Carl Fogarty. He will be the best of the best. He'll be the top dog. He'll be the one in World Superbox that his name's in every single record book. He holds everything that you could physically own. What what else is left for him to do? And that's the that's the bit that I worry about. Hmm. Is are we going to get to the point where that's it? He calls it a day. Yeah, I mean, leave motorsport or you know, or whether he'll, he will try his luck if he can get a factory seat in MotoGP. Fingers crossed. I'd love to see yeah, him over I, there. I'd love and to see him in MotoGP because just I, see I, what I, he I could. What he can do. I've had this conversation. <clears> well, we still firmly believe we we believe Jonathan Ray is as good as the, a lot of the people in that MotoGP paddock. I think yep. you're literally talking about the, the Marquez level of rider that perhaps are a level above Ray, but I think Ray is as good as anyone else in that paddock. And he would be 32 yep. by the start of next season. He's 31 now. Um, so you really do feel that if he's going to make a switch to MotoGP, time is running out for him. It's going to have to be next year um, because he's going to have to sign a new yep. contract by that point and basically commit his long-term future to somebody. Um, so we'll see which way Jonathan Ray goes uh, on that. Um, his teammate once again is Tom Sykes, who's been his teammate for the last three years and had his pants thoroughly pulled down by him uh, for three consecutive <laughs> years. Um, is there anything that you've seen, Bex, that suggests that this season will be any different? Um, no, no, not at all. And that's no disrespect. <laughs> I know you're a massive Tom Sykes fan, and we always come to loggerheads over this over this topic. And it's no disrespect to Tom Sykes. I think. He's an outstanding rider, and you know what? Before Jonathan Ray came on the scene as his teammate, I honestly thought that we were gonna, we were witnessing him, and he was gonna be the greatest of all time, and he was gonna be the man whose names was in lights in everyone, and the kids that are like you know two or three now in a couple of years' time will be talking about him. He's the idol. We thought we were gonna be seeing one of the great world superbike rivalries building up, but it just hasn't materialised. No, it hasn't materialised at all. It's been actual fact. He's been one of the greatest World Superbike spankings, if I'm completely honest, because he's just obliterated what I think we all thought was quite possibly the best rider in the paddock at that point, and he's just been blown at the water. And he's had he's had three seasons now, and he hasn't found an answer to anything any questions Jonathan Ray has asked of him in any of those three seasons. It's just he's always felt just a little bit short. And I don't see what is going to happen and what is going to change this season for for him to start picking up the slack and and really giving it to Jonathan Ray and really forcing him to try and I'm trying to force his hand and make a mistake for to him to swoop in and become the the, the top dog in Kawasaki again, which is something that he's been used to for you know a little bit, and now he's had to he's had to step aside and you know he, he's not top dog anymore and he's not number one. One and I'm not saying that you know Kawasaki favoured Jonathan Ray at all, but what I'm saying is <clears throat> Charles Oakes has had to change his riding style now and change how he rides on a bike and change the way he is on that Kawasaki ZX10R purely because it just doesn't suit him. Whatever they're doing now, it's suiting Jonathan Ray as soon as he sits on it, and Tom Stokes is just just struggling that little bit and he's not coming up with the answers. And this season's going to be no different. What no different. What concerned me last year from a, from a Tom Sykes point of view was how he didn't even enjoy his customary Super Bowl uh, dominance that he had over, over Jonathan Ray. Ray even out, out pole positioned him last year. 
um, by the time the season came to us, yeah. which would be concerned with Tom Sykes. I think what, what will be slightly different this year is I think his, his fitness, first and foremost. He was pretty pretty poorly through the first part of last season. He wasn't well at all. Um, he put up that horrendous injury towards the end of last season. The big crash he had caught him out, um, which ruled him out of that round and meant that essentially he rode through the final three rounds of the season 50% fit, essentially. Um, so hopefully this season we have a fully fit Tom Sykes. Um, and if we're being honest, Bex, if Kawasaki have the level of dominance that they appear to have had through winter testing, rev limit or not, uh, and with Ducati perhaps hamstrung by these rev limit changes, which we'll, which we'll discuss in a second, are we realistically, actually, as, as neutrals here, are we looking to Tom Sykes as the one realistic potential title challenger to Ray? As a neutral, then I'm going to because say yes. Yeah. As a little super fan, I want to say no. For the championship this year. Realistically, no, because they're the only two that are. Le- uh, he's the only one that's on a level pla- uh, on a level playing field because he's on the same bike. The only thing that I think will possibly come in his favour is, <clears throat> as far as I understand it, it's the rider that's doing well that will get penalised with the with the rev limit thing. Not the not the factory. So if Jonathan Ray's blowing it away, Tom Sykes won't be affected because he won't have his revs limitised as much as Jonathan Ray will, will he? So it'll bring them closer together yet again. And so realistically, I think possibly he is the only guy because the Ducatis um, seem seemingly on paper, and we all know paper's not worth whatever it's written on. It's it, you know. It's not until the checker flag falls in race one that we can really sort of see where where everyone's at. Um, they seem the Ducati seem to be struggling, and I've got my little instinct as to why I think that's happening. Because all right, we know they start off quite slow at the start of the season, and they and Chaz Davis especially works his way up, and he's just sort of smashing podium after podium after podium, and getting a couple of race wins in between towards the end of the season. But um, I honestly think that this season it's only going to be Tom Sykes really able to challenge Jonathan Ray towards the end and even then I'm not 100% sure it's going to be enough to stop him yeah, well, we'll have to keep an eye on that as the season so. goes on uh, Jonathan Ray and Tom Sykes the unchanged lineup uh, at the Kawasaki racing team unchanged to Ducati as well they feel Chaz Davies mm-hmm. and Marco Malandri once again um, and uh, as I mentioned earlier on Greg Haynes has spoken at length about this we'll hear from him later on on why he thinks that Ducati might suffer more than most um, through these regulation changes um, and they've not had the best of build-ups to the season, Bex. Chaz Davies suffered a pretty bad knee injury in testing at Jerez back in November. He's not really been fully fit throughout the winter um, leading up to this season. Um, and it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting conundrum, this for Ducati, isn't it? Because it's the last season with the current Panigale before they move um, to the V4 um, for next year. Um, so, in theory, this is as good as the current Panigale is going to be. Um, but but our mm-hmm. team, as this season goes on, going to have half an eye on next year. Do you wonder? A hundred percent. This is this is why I said that I was going to come back to it. Why I think the Ducatis are going to struggle this year, because I, people are going to. I know everyone's going to disagree with me here, but for for me, this season pretty much is a right off for Ducati already. They're already looking and planning ahead for next season. They want to get the bike when they go to the V4. 100% ready for the start of the season. So they're not going to be testing and, or at least I don't think they'll be, they'll be testing and updating and, and really putting a lot of time, effort and money into into the Panigale for this season, purely because they want to be 
they'll already have their their right eye on 2019. Well, well, that is true. But I just, I genuinely think that it's going to be sort of much through this season. You know, it, they're not going to exactly have a poor season where they end up at the bottom of the bloody table, are they? It, it, it's going to be just, just get through this season, pick up the podiums as and when you can, be great, and then we'll go into next season. More than not, they'll have Chas Davies still there as their number one guy. And, and really hit the ground running then when they've got the, their nice shiny new bike and everything's all fancy and no one's going to be able to know anything. But can I just say, I really hope Chas Davies can get himself through the, the opening two races at um, Philip Island. He does look okay. I mean, the injury isn't really affecting him, but as you say, he's had a really difficult winter. Um, but thank God I'm not having my you-shouldn't-be-racing mm few weeks before the start at least it was a testing accident and it weren't the fact that he was on a motocross yeah. bike prattling about with his pals so thank you for stopping that ranch as davis but 100 percent hope that you get, get yourself better and uh a fit and ready for the for the first opening two rounds with two races back less than 45 minutes and you've already uh, gone with the old training injuries <laughs> wait for that one man um, chas davis though yeah he his accident that he suffered at Hareth um on the very first day of winter testing back in november um, mm-hmm. pretty bad injuries that he sustained uh, he sprained his uh, medial collateral and anterior cruciate ligament um, so a sprained ACL on his right knee um, coupled with a contusion he also had a contusion to his left wrist as well um, so there was a lot of injuries that went in there um, for Chaz Davies and he's kind of been recuperating as the winter's gone on um, ever since um, and from Chaz Davies's point of view I mean he's not getting any younger either but I think in World Superbikes it's less no. of a a penalty if you're into your early 30s because hell Jonathan Ray's 31 and he's the best rider on the planet in this in this in this category um but as far as Chas Davis is concerned we saw last year we were hoping that this was going to be a new Chas Davis he was going to pick up the points be consistent take the championship fight deep into the season especially when he finished second in each of the first two races in Phillip Island and um, we thought hang on maybe this is maybe Chas Davis has learned a lesson or two um but unfortunately we then saw him crash towards the end of the race at Aragon when fighting for a win we saw him have that dramatic last lap crash at Mizano where he scooped up Jonathan Ray and allowed Sykes to take the jammiest of all-time victories uh, <laughs> in the bike race. Um, it didn't appear, Bex, as if Chaz Davies had changed. Is that literally Chaz Davies and how Chaz Davies is going to be? Are we ever going to get Chaz Davies operating at the level of consistency that Jonathan Ray is able to, to operate at? Or is, John, is Chaz Davies simply the kind of rider that has to ride on the very edge to get the best out of himself? I think so, yeah, and <clears throat> it takes him it takes him a while to get going. But as soon as he, he's got going, he's picking up. As I said, he's picking up the podiums, he's picking up the points. He does, he does go on a consistent little run, and he's not as obviously as consistent as Jonathan Ray. He's consistently second, and um, I don't think that that's really going to change. But Charles Davis, he, he does, he does always ride on the limit, and sometimes he does make silly mistakes. But I can also talk about another rider that always rides on the limit and also makes silly mistakes, and he's, you know, a five-time world champion. So, I think for 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 the likes of Chas Davies, I, we wouldn't get to see half the excitement and the enjoyment that we get to see when he when he's fully focused and he's there and he's stealing the yard when they've only been giving him an inch going into the apex of the corner because that's just who he is. He is a he's a hard and fair rider, and I genuinely don't want him to change any other way. If he's got a rod on the edge and crash out with a whole how Mary thing, mm. there you go, Dre. Just, just one for you. To try and to try and get the win, then so be it because it is so entertaining when he is in that mood and he is in that fighting spirit. And yeah, 
I quite like the little Welsh dragon when he comes out of himself. He kind of blows fire up everyone's backside, and yeah, I, I don't want him to change. Yeah, Stage the way you am, yeah, pal. Yeah, should back boy smoke of Alex Lowe's backside, but uh, we'll give it. We'll give her a chance to do that in a moment. <laughs> Um, his teammate, uh, as ever, is Marco Melandri, his teammate from last year who returned to the series and won a race, of course, at Mizano in race two. Uh, a very popular victory, the 100th victory for an Italian in World Superbike history um, at that time. Um, very unfortunate not to have added a second win at Jerez later in the year, Bex. And um, Marco Melandri turns 36 this year um, in August. Crikey. Um, and... Yeah, how important a season is this for Melandri? Because he'll, of course, he'll want to be around when this new Panigale finally comes onto the track at the start of next year. Um, but you've got to think that Ducati, with one of their riders at the age of 36, will be looking around um, to see who's available. And is it up, from, up to Melandri now to basically make the decision for Ducati that he's too good to drop? Oh, 100%. He's facing his own hands. And as you say, look, you went... <clears throat> you're not getting any younger. And if if... He's going to be 37 at ne- turn of next season when they are having the new, the new Panigale. Mm. That for me would start raising eyebrows. So he needs to add not just you know I think he needs to get a couple of race wins under his belt this season. Not just the one. He needs to have two, three. If he can get four, man, that's absolutely smashing it. Right, the course of the season, um, and then that will be right. Okay. Jesus, you've done that this season. Like, you know, that would be a reward then. And I honestly think he's fights in his own hands. He's got to have a good season. And as soon as he gets um, a couple of, of a couple of race wins, I'd like to think just a you know a fair few podiums. If he cannot, if he can't get the race win, get sort of five, six, seven podiums would help. But I just think at the minute it's too it's too early to say whether he's going to be strong enough to do so at the course this season. But he's got to have a good season. He's fights in his own hands and he's got to give him something to think about. Yeah, he had 11, 12 podiums last year, including his win. So, uh, yeah, Melandri will be looking to match that kind of level. But there may be teams and riders Mm -hmm. behind him that may uh, reduce that number, particularly the likes of Yamaha and Honda, if they're better this year. Ducati might not find it as easy. Um, to get those podiums, essentially last year it was just four riders every weekend going for three podium spots um, based on how competitive the Kawasaki's and the Ducati's were. Um, but yeah, I agree, it's a key year for Melandri, especially when you consider that at the European rounds this season, um, we are going to be seeing the Superstock 1000 champion, Michael Ruben Rinaldi, um, on the Aruba.it Racing Junior Team Ducati. Um, which is exactly what it says on the tin. It's essentially the Aruba team running a third bike for their junior, younger rider. Um, and you kind of wonder whether Rinaldi on that bike is an audition for next year. Certainly more. If, if he's anywhere near yeah. Melandri or ahead of Melandri in those outings, you've got to think Rinaldi's got a good shot of being on that bike next yeah. year. So, um, yeah, Melandri at the very least will want to make sure that he's not shown up by his younger compatriot. Um, that brings us to Ducati. Let's move on to the team that were third last year. Bex has been rubbing her hands for a while at this one. Uh, because it's Pata Yamaha uh, who improved last year but I think some of us would argue Bex that the level they were at last year was the level we were expecting them to be at the year before um, in in 2016 Um, multiple podium finishes for them last year they had several race two pole positions and were not able to convert them largely because Jonathan Ray was just too damn good Um, but they had their first double podium since returning to the series at Magnicol last year when Lowe's and Van der Mark were second and third Surely, surely, the next step for them is to win a race. It's got to come this season. It. I mean, I. I think I will be bald through stress 
if this race win does not come at all this season, and not just for Alex Lowe's, I, I am genuinely a, a Yamaha fan um, in, in World Superbikes anyway. Um, and we're fans of and, Yamaha on this show. Uh, oh, yeah, he's, he's a nice guy. And I mean, I always think back to when I mean, you, we got to, to meet him and have, and have a chat at um, Motorcycle Live, man. He's just, oh, he's just such a down-to-earth guy. And you're just like, oh, do you, do you really race bikes on the edge at, like, 200 mile an hour? And yet you're so placid. Like, he just, bless him, he just, he's got a fantastic, fantastic personality. But the race win has to come. And I 100% agree. I am a massive Yamaha fan. And I will big them up whenever they do the slightest thing right. Like, I will make it a massive achievement but I am also not daft enough to, to knock them down when they have been poor. And as you say, last year was a vast improvement on the first year. Um, but it's where we expected them to start off. So for them, that for those results to be coming in their second year, like, as I say, this year, it's got to be a race. It's got to be multiple race wins for, you know, Alex has got to get one 100% this year. He needs the confidence boost. It's his third year on the R1 now. I would expect nothing less. And, and Alex um, last year, it, he needs to be stepping it up. <clears throat> with Vandermark coming to the same team, and there was a lot of focus on that pairing. The two, in theory, the two most exciting young riders in the championship, head to head at the same team. Yep. Alex Lowe's won that battle last year um, in the end over Vandermark. Um, Vandermark's now got a year's experience on that R1, and therefore you'd expect him to be stronger um, this year. So the, the challenge is the same, isn't it, for Alex Lowe's? Once again. With those two both looking... He's got to beat his teammate. Vandermark on a MotoGP bike already. Um, he debuted last year for the Tech 3 team as a stand-in uh, when Jonas Folger was unwell. Um, Alex Lowe's has also done likewise when Bradley Smith had his injury the year before. He debuted in MotoGP. Both of those are at a point in their careers where they're either going to be setting themselves up for a World Superbike Championship Challenge or switching paddocks to MotoGP. And you've got to feel that if it's going to happen for either of them, now's the time to really step up and show that they're capable of it. Yeah, 100%. And I said at the start of the show that um, I, I wanted Jonathan Ray to, to, to make the move over, um, but that wasn't the only one I wanted to make the move over. And I think, you know, Alex... Uh, <laughs> shock. Shock of the week. You know, Jonathan Ray's 31, but Alex is only 27, 28. They've just had a birthday in September, and I can't remember which one it was. Uh, no, it's one of the... I could tell you the day of their birth. I can tell you the date and everything. I just cannot tell you whether they were 27 or 28. I think... I think they might have been 28, because I think they were, they were born 27. in 19... They were 27, they were born in... Okay, they were born in 1921. Okay, so they are born in 91, then 12th of September is their, is their birthday. Uh, yeah. Really? 14th of September, 1919. Oh, yeah. Wikipedia oh, yeah, is the most... Oh, yeah, because it was... Uh, you know, Bex, Bex is usually oh, a No, because I was doing it for 2018. <laughs> I was doing it for 2018, and it's not it's 2017, because they had it was that... It was like, see... I, I know, I know. I, I did tweet about Mar Marquez's birthday the other day. It was, yeah, that was yeah. a fun time. Um, but, you know, he's he was, he's 27 and, you know, he, he'll be 28 going into next season. And there you go, yeah. Lewis, I got it right this time. Um, and I honestly think that now is the time that he needs to be making the step over. You know, his brother really struggled but in, in going up when he was in MotoGP. But I think that was purely because he didn't get the World Superbike experience and he went straight into Moto2. Didn't win the championship, and then MotoGP was just, just, it was just, nah. 
it's a bit of a right off season, but I'm not exactly thrilled who they've replaced him with yeah. over in the, over, over who they've replaced him with in MotoGP. But we'll get onto that, I'm sure, when we did the MotoGP preview. I'm sure that'll be a fun debate between me and Dre. Um, yeah, we'll but no, for we'll Alex, it's now or never. It's it's do or die, now or never. Um, he's got to get the race wins. He's got to prove that he's good enough, and he's got to make it so that the uh, the guys over in MotoGP really start to raise an eyebrow and go. This kid needs a shot. Um, Michael Vandem. Come on, Alex, prove me right. Prove <laughs> you right. It's going to happen someday, surely. Um, Michael Vandermark, though, he's only 25. Um, uh, he was born October 92. Um, so he'll turn 26 at the end of this season. Um, so a little bit more time on his side. And I, I mean, I was gutted for him in Mazzano last year in that first race where he looked like he was certainly on target to be on the podium, if not win it. Um, and he had that horrendous tyre failure coming around the fast right hander, which cost him in, in that one. Um, and. Yeah, he's a ride that we've rated very highly for a number of years on this show, and I, I think he's he's going to be right up there. I think Yamaha are those, one of those teams that will be looking at these regulation changes, Bex, and looking at the rev limits that are going to be imposed on Kawasaki and Ducati in particular ahead of them. Um, and if those two teams start very well, they may get hamstrung further. Yamaha were already, at the end of last season, right on the tail of these two. Surely, if these regulation changes mm-hmm. are going to pin back Kawasaki and Ducati, Yamaha are surely very well placed to take advantage of that. Oh, man, they're rubbing their hands together and going, come on, give it to me. Because they're, they're, you're right, they were there and thereabouts at the end of last season. It can only get better. And if the likes of Jonathan Ray and, and, and all them, like, they're going to get pegged back then the Yamaha guys they're there and they're gonna pounce and they're gonna that's when the race wins are coming that's when the the multiple podiums will come and that's when we won't just get the one um double podium we'll get several double podiums because they're gonna be the ones in prime position with ringside seats right there and able to 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 take advantage of these regulations that have been brought in so I mean Yamaha if, if for me could be a spoiler now I'm not saying they're gonna win the title please I'd like to think in some ulterior world, um, I, I may have texted Lewis yesterday and told him that I was tipping Alex for the win, but yeah. Um, you're all you're all in some, won the championship. Yeah, yeah, I've already given him, crowned him, give, I've given him everything. I've, I've given him the keys to Lincolnshire. Behave. <laughs> it's a PG show. Uh, you know, I've just given, you know, I've given him the freedom of the city. He's got everything because he's won the title in my eyes. But I'm not saying they're going to win the title in, in realistic terms. I think they could be a spoiler and really make it an interesting show if the regulations go the way they want them to go in terms of Jonathan Ray does suffer and Alex Lowe's or Mike Mark is there to pence. But that's all if buts and maybes. But they're in the right place at that's the right time. Um, next to the manufacturers are Aprilia, um, who <laughs> had a dreadful by their standards uh, 2017 as they joined forces with the Milwaukee team who of course ditched BMWs and ditched Josh Brooks um, to bring in Lorenzo and Eugene Laverty um, for 2017 and it yielded a grand total of no podium finishes um, through the season um, this is now with the new Fireblade coming in for Honda the Aprilia RSV4 is now the oldest bike on the grid um, and it's kind of showing, isn't it? I mean, they were very, very quick, we have to add, today in free practice in Phillip Island. Salvador and Laverty were first and third, respectively. Um, although we don't quite know how they achieved that, whether they were on softer tyres or whether they were on low fuel or how they managed it. 
Um, but surely they can't go through another season without even as much of a podium, can they? Oh, crikey, no. Crikey, no. I mean, <sighs> we all know my feelings on the whole Milwaukee Josh Brooks and the that whole debacle thing. I made that and my feelings very, very clear. Um, but in terms of it for, for, for Aprilia, they, it's got to happen this season. I mean, last season was, I want to say, it, it was disastrous in terms of that everyone, I tipped it to be a, a huge step up for them. The BMW was just, it just wasn't, the BMW was just was never going to cut the mustard. But the Aprilia, hmm, that raises an eyebrow. That's, that's on, a good, on a good day, that is one that can really sort of come to the party, and well, exactly, and it make it makes it makes the cows sing. But Jesus Christ, last season was just disastrous, and and this season they can't go another they can't go another season without a podium, because I genuinely think it will be a separate part of the ways for for factory and mm, sponsor. Yeah, it's interesting that because it just it just won't James work. Also, expect a party of the ways of sorts later this this year. We'll uh, we'll let him tell you that um, in a little bit. Um, at that team, he's expecting changes there too. Uh, Lorenzo Savadori then at oh, that really? team, he's uh, 24, turns 25 in April. Eugene Laverty slightly older than that, but in Eugene Laverty, Bex, um, he, he came away from MotoGP with his head held high. Oh. He did a great job over there on pretty um, modest machinery. Um, and last time he was in the World Superbike paddock before moving back, he yep. was a championship front runner. Um, this is still a guy, isn't he? Yep. If the bike is good enough. He can go to he can go to war with the very best of them in this championship. Yeah, hundred percent. He's he's strong enough, and his his ability when he's up there with the leading pack, he doesn't make stupid mistakes and doesn't throw it away. Um, so he he does and is able to 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 really put uh, set the cat amongst the pigeons on a good day when the bike's right, when everything goes his way. Um, unfortunately for him, last season, not quite. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of when we look back at what the the uh, the things he achieved in MotoGP, I just think you know it's got to be it's got to be frustrating for him that it hasn't quite worked out. It didn't quite work out last season, um, and I honestly think it'll be a big test of character for him to see if he can actually make the Aprilia work harder and be better this season um and hopefully i mean i think he, his personality wise it you just as soon as you hear him talk and listen to the, what he's got to say he just brings a massive smile into anyone's face because he's just got the personality of an absolute lion and he's got he wears his heart on his sleeve and it's got to be frustrating for him but i think it'll hopefully it'll and come good looking at levity as well i mean Savadori is a, a favored son of aprilia they more brought him across from the Iota team when Aprilia took over or joined forces with Milwaukee. Um, they moved Savadori in into that squad. But Laverty, I, I get the feeling with him that if that Aprilia is still struggling this year and that team is struggling, that I think he'll be a kind of rider that's looking elsewhere because you've got to think there will be teams further up mm. the field that would jump at the chance uh, to sign Eugene Laverty. Um, They'd be exactly. deaf not to. So, um, yeah, a key season for that team, for that manufacturer and for their riders because uh, Eugene Laverty... Um, I still think he's every bit as good enough um, to challenge for a world championship in this paddock. Um, next up then is uh, MB Augusta, um, who have lost their one rider from last season, Leon Camia. We'll take, tell you about him uh, in a moment. Um, they've replaced him with Jordi Torres, who's departed BMW. We'll tell you who they've replaced him with in a moment. Um, but as far as MB Augusta are concerned, Bex, I mean, 
they're still chasing that long-awaited podium finish. Kamiya had so many fourth places over the course of the last couple of years um, <laughs> that it was kind of painful. Um, is Jordi Torres an upgrade or a downgrade on Kamiya, though? Um. Oh, man, that's a horrible question. Um... <sighs> I don't want to say he's a downgrade, but I think he's going to struggle to reciprocate the results Camilla that Leon Camilla did for them. Yeah, he knew the bike inside out. He knew, obviously, the team inside out. He had a great relationship. Um, and he was able to pull off results that, for the standard that the bike he was given should not have been able to be achieved. And somehow, with the greatest will in the world, Leon Camier managed that. And so I don't want to say it's a downgrade for for um, Leon Augusta team, but I genuinely think they're not going to get as many... I don't think they're going to be as close as what they were until... Um, until Jordi Torres gets the hang of the bike a little bit more. Um, because, as you say, like Leon, he, was, he was there for so long. He was part of the furniture. Um, and he was able to manipulate the bike. I think it's going to be a long time before Jordi Torres gets that firmly imprinted in his rider ability to be able to adapt to that bike. That's what I was trying to say. And I think he's going to struggle to adapt his rider style and his ability to how that bike works. Whereas Leon Cameron had mastered it and was getting picking up four places and not quite able to just tip it over the line. And I think that's where Jordi Torres is going to fall foul so on paper, yes, it will be a downgrade, but not because of he's no less of a rider, just because he hasn't had enough time on the bike. Yeah, yet. and he is a class rider, Jim yeah. Torres, former race winner, um, in World yeah. Superbikes with Aprilia. So we know he's capable. We know how good he can be, and we all know how popular and how great a character he is. Um, World Superbikes is always better for it when uh, when Jordi Torres is competitive and smiling. So uh, we hope he is. Um, as this season unfolds, although it may take a bit of time with that team for Torres um, to show what he's capable of. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, he has departed the Altea BMW team, or to give them their full title for this year, the Golf Altea BMW Racing Team, as they've uh, picked up a new title sponsor, <laughs> and a new rider, as they brought back Loris Baz, who's oh. um, moved across from MotoGP after a few years there. Um, and, and I'll put to you, Bex, the same question that I put to Greg Haynes a little bit later on in the show. Um, does Loris Baz return to World Superbikes a better and more mature rider than the one that left it? Um, slightly. Ever so slightly. Um, I think, for, for me, anyone that goes over to MotoGP and then comes back, is never. it's never going to have a detriment on your ability as a World Superbike rider, purely because we all know my GP is the creme of the creme. If sorry, I could not stop those. I couldn't stop those sneezes. I'm really sorry. Tremendous job in MotoGP and that's me saying that. He yeah, and you. I mean, I mean, you and him are best buddies, aren't you? Like, oh, proper proper homies you pair are. Um, but no, I genuinely think he did a good job. And as I say, when you when you go over to MotoGP and you get the experience of the MotoGP paddock, if you come back to, to World Superbikes, it's only going to be a benefit to you because you've got that slightly more competitive edge. You've had the experience of what it's like to be in the best paddock in the world. And when you come back, I'm not saying that that's not a knock to any of the riders 
in the World Superbike Paddock because, as I say, I've already said today, I absolutely adore this series. It's my little baby. Um, it should set you up in good stead to, to sort of continue and, and really stamp your stamp your authority. And I'm not saying it's stamp your authority because you're gonna you're gonna win every race, but you're gonna be there. And because you've had the the, the closeness of the MotoGP, and because you've had just the the sheer speed and adrenaline that that gives you, and you come back to a World Superbike bike that's not as fast, you, you've got that little bit of more oomph behind you. And uh, I really think it's going to do Loris Bass some good. Uh, yeah, I think Loris. But he's on a BMW. Loris Bass is so. a class rider now, and he's, he's shown in MotoGP that he's that he can deliver. He's you know nearly had podium finishes for goodness sake in MotoGP um, in some of those flag to flag races, particularly at Mizano um, back in 2015 when he was he was right up the front. Um, and yeah, I think it's great for the championship that he's back, and he has I think he's yeah. capable of, of of matching most riders in this championship. But I was just about to say what you said. But he's on a BMW, um, and yeah. this is a team that I think has pretty much have they hit their ceiling up their backs in recent years. Have they pretty much peaked and have gone as far as they can go with that bike? I think so. I can't see where they're going to get anything else from it, um, and it's a shame because I like to see different manufacturers and, and factory teams in World Superbikes. But I just I just genuinely think that they've hit their limit, and they're just not quite got. They've not quite got it on the world stage. No, and it's a shame because they do they do all right in British. They do all right in British, but they've not quite got it on the world stage. They're just missing they're missing a few key elements, and that I don't see where they're gonna they're gonna get that. Um, it is a shame, but I, mean, I, I still remember from a few years ago when yeah. BMW had the factory team um, in World Superbikes. And- Effort and a bit more resource and a bit more backing, and they were ready to win a championship, and they they just pulled out of it. And mm-hmm. That was a real shame for me because I think BMW had something, had something there, and they've they've allowed it to kind of drift away. And yeah, that bike I think essentially is as good as it's going to be now. And um, you know, no no strong, no big team in that paddock is going to pick up that BMW anymore. I'm afraid. Um, and Loris Baz um, has a bit of a job on I think this year. He'll, I mean, we saw last year with Torres that on the right day that can get in the top six but I'm, I'm not so sure if Baz can really uh, realistically expect to do any better uh, than that um, let's talk then about the final manufacturer that we have to come to we've covered Kawasaki Ducati Aprilia Yamaha MV Augusta and BMW which leaves us with the manufacturer that incredibly finished bottom last year of uh, the manufacturer's championship now they had a dreadful season Red Bull Honda last year for <laughs> all sorts of reasons on track and off track um, of course, on track it was yeah. it was a bit of a dumpster fire for them. Off track, they of course tragically lost Nicky Hayden uh, midway through the year, which which dreadfully affected the team, as you can expect. Um, now for this yeah. year, a brand new rider lineup. We'll come on to their second rider, Bex, in a moment because we're going to cover the rookies separately. Um, Jake Gagne, who's yeah. uh, who's the second of the riders, but uh, Leon Camier moves in at that team, and he is probably, if we look at the testing times and look at free practice today, Leon Camier has arguably been the surprise package of winter testing. Uh, yeah, I mean, we all, uh, we've covered. I've covered briefly earlier on it today. Just, just how good he is, um, and he has. It's amazing that you know, you, you, as you said, Honda struggled, but with his experience and his knowledge and his adaptability, he did look very, very quick in free practice today. And second quickest free practice times, you can't go 
too much by them. But he was, I think he was, he was third fastest. in free, uh, the end of, mm. was he second fastest in free practice three? I got him down as third by just a couple of hundredths behind Xavi yeah, Forrest. On, on combined on times, he was second overall. Combined time. Uh, okay, yeah. But, I mean, I, you wouldn't have expected that. And that just goes to prove that this season already... On paper, Honda should be gearing themselves up for for a better season, and I can't think of much better sort of teacher for the uh, for the new guy uh, and his new teammate that not many people know much about um, to to really be the to to learn off. I don't think you know you, there's not many better guys in the paddock than Leon Camier to be a coach and a teammate and a friend. To, to really settle you in if you're if you're a new guy, so it's going to be it can only be good things for for Honda this season. Yeah, I mean it, it can't be much worse, can it? Than how 2017 went for them. Well, um, no, it was it was horrendous. I mean, as I say, you, losing uh, their lead rider and such a popular figure in the panic, Nicky Hayden was was an incredible ordeal for them to have to go through. Um, but they also lost Stefan Bradle to injury as the season went on. Um, to the point that at one stage of the season they had Davide Giuliano and the test rider Takumi Takahashi as their two riders, um, with neither of whom were on the bikes this year and neither of whom started last year on it. Um, so your know, Honda were essentially down to their fourth and fifth choice riders at one point or another um, last year. And the bike was delivered to the team very, very late, the new Fireblade, and wasn't the bike that I think they thought they were getting. Um, so they've they've had a year now to try and figure it out, try and adjust to it and try and figure out how to get the best out of it. And it seems as if with Camille on board, who's a terrific rider at setting up and developing a bike, that they might start now to make inroads. And they've got an extra bike this year as well. Um, they've got a satellite Honda on the grid as well um, with another rookie, uh, PJ Jacobson, who we'll talk about in a moment, with the Triple M team. So there's some extra development work that can be carried out there as well um, with Honda. I think we can all agree, Bex, that a team, Tenkate, with such history in this championship and Honda um, so steeped in motorcycle racing history, the World Superbike Championship is a better championship if Honda are competitive. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, they're they're such an established team. Everyone seems to, to to love the Honda team and they just got they're just such they seem to brighten up anywhere that they go and I mean for for World Superbikes with I can't imagine a World Superbike series without a Honda team in there so it can only be um the best the best thing for for the series as a whole and as long as they're competitive and as long as this season goes just slightly even just slightly more better than last season, then we're onto a onto a winner. And as you've already took the words out of my mouth, you know, I think Leon Camier is the guy to take them forward, and I think he is the possibly the best guy to to have this season after such a horrendous last season, because he will be able to really bring them on and bring the bike on and, and set them up in good stead for for the season to come. Mm, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they get on. They they look as if they're set for a, something of a revival this year. Whether it necessarily takes them to victories or to podiums, we'll have to wait and see. But they certainly look like they're going to be much more competitive um, in 2018. And then they were in any stage last season. And we wish Red Bull Honda well um, in 2018, given how their season went last year off track. I think mm-hmm. everyone wants to see them do well um, in 2018. Yeah. Um, if I was just going to pinpoint any other riders other than the rookies who we're going to come on to in a second, Chavi Forres, who's going to be riding once again 
uh, for the Barney Ducati team. Finished the championship overall seventh last year with only the factory Kawasaki's, Ducati's and Yamaha's ahead of him. He was best of the rest last year for us. So uh, he's a rider to keep an eye on. He's still with that Barney Ducati team. Um, and he's another rider that might... Best name in the yes. paddock. Um, and he's another rider. Best team name in the, the paddock. Barney racing team. Uh, love... Yeah, they do, they do yeah, not race in purple. I love for it. anyone that's wondering. Um, but uh, but they um, but yeah, Forez. Who I, I want to see him on the podium this year. I think he's 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 come so close. He finished fourth last year. That's his career best, um, or his best um, since um, Saxon Ring 2016, when he had that rain effective podium. Still chasing his first dry rostrum uh, in a World Superbike race. Um, hopefully, he gets it um, this year because uh, he's another rider who I think will be keeping a close eye on the uh, fortunes of the factory Ducati team and Marco Melandri because if he's competitive with Melandri. Um, a Ruby Ducati might well look at Forez as an option um, in the future. Um, elsewhere, Leandro Mercado, who showed well at various stages last year um, with the IOTA Aprilia team, often outpaced the factory Aprilia team in Milwaukee. He's now on a Kawasaki with the Oralac racing team, who have moved up from World Super Sport um, and have got Kawasaki backing. Mercado, of course, will have a home round this year, assuming that Argentine round goes ahead. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that one as well. Mercado, another highly rated rider who will be looking to achieve um, some interesting things this year. Um, coming up next, though, we're going to hear from the voice of the championship. We're going to hear from Greg Haynes of Eurosport, who gives us the full lowdown on each of the seven manufacturers, and in particular, how they're going to be affected by these upcoming regulation changes. We'll hear from him next. Well, many thanks for joining us, Greg. There's only one place to start, really, isn't there, for 2018, and that's the new regulations that have been brought in uh, for this campaign, which are going to see rev limits imposed on each manufacturer as well as a concession system for engine development. I mean, do you think this year we'll see more Ray Kawasaki dominance, or will these rule changes ensure otherwise? Will it make a difference? I think over the course of a season, probably not, because the Provec team with Kawasaki's support and the top riders and personnel they have there have the bigger budget, have more resources, and I think the cream will rise to the top over the course of a 26-race World Championship season. Would it make it more difficult for them along the way? I think it probably will, to be honest with you. I think it will give us a little bit more variety. The races might be a little bit more mixed up. What Kawasaki doesn't like is the fact that the rev limits can be changed as the season goes on. So after rounds three, six, and nine, which is Aragon, Donington, and Mizano, they can adjust the rev limits, can the SBK commission by 250 revs a time. So that means if Kawasaki has that hitting them twice, let alone the maximum three times, their World Superbike will actually be running with less revolutions, revs per minute, than their road-going bike. It might seem a bit strange. It is a bit strange, maybe. Does it really matter? I don't necessarily think so. And if it gives us closer racing, I think it is a good thing at the end of the day. Although I can understand, of course, Kawasaki's frustration because they are and probably will essentially be penalised for doing a good job. So to answer your question, at the end of the day, no, I don't think it's going to change the results of the championship, but it will change certainly the way we get there. And I think we'll have a few annoyed people along the way as these things are changed. And nobody really knows quite how it's going to work, of course, because it's never happened before. But I would just add one thing. Let's remember, 
over the years, things have been changed in World Superbikes and even MotoGP. There are certain parameters in place, British Superbikes as well, to help balance things out. So it's nothing too revolutionary either, excuse the pun. But um, at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to change the results of the actual championship. Yeah, and Kawasaki have looked the class of the field, haven't they, for much of pre-season testing as well, despite these changes. I mean, is Ray likely to start this season with the same dominance he enjoyed at the end of 2017? Well, I think Jonathan Ray is going to be strong here. As you say, he's been very dominant here over the last three years. He's done the double the last two years, and he won a race in 15, so that's five out of the last six races he's actually won here on the island he loves the place it's like a second home to him his wife Tash is from Phillip Island she went to school on Phillip Island they've just had a new house built and it looks really spectacular from what I've seen online so Jonathan Ray will be comfortable it doesn't mean he's going to win both races though but you know what I'm looking at the sky here Lewis and there is blue sky with a few scattered clouds but then I look the other way and it's a bit grey and a bit dull and the forecast is saying that we might even get rain in fact there's a high chance we may well get rain on Saturday in particular Melbourne and the general area is known as four seasons in a day and I think we're going to see a good example of it this weekend so it might ironically despite all the talk of the off season the last few months being about regulations and shaking up things that way it might be mother nature that actually throws the biggest spanner in the works and providing everybody's safe and all right i think it would actually be fantastic in some ways because rain always gives us a bit of a leveler and could throw up some great and very unusual results and i don't think it matters we don't necessarily need to see a good picture a good idea of the picture for the weekend i don't think it matters if we get some crazy races here i think it'll be a great way to start the world championship season as a neutral so we'll see what happens from that point of view but um it definitely throws some more uncertainty into the equation doesn't it yeah absolutely we'll have to keep an eye on that as the weekend goes on just finishing off on kawasaki though i mean with this zx 10 rr looking so competitive i mean is the likeliest title challenger to ray going to come from tom sykes within his same team and is there evidence from testing that he's going to give ray a closer run this season i actually think tom sykes is in a really decent position this year it's no secret that he didn't have the best year last year off the track back at home as he said in a few interviews and also he was obviously injured at Portimao which was a horrible crash and could have been a lot worse he's only just had actually uh, back in January the the dressing and everything taking off that wound and here at Phillip Island on Saturday he had the stitches removed uh, it wasn't allowing him to have a proper grip around the left hand uh, handlebar so that was affecting him all the last third, really, of last season and the stuff going on behind the scenes back at home. So I think he's, he's in a better place now and he's ready to uh, fully focus. But uh, he's happy with the way the regulations have turned out in some ways. It might suit his style a little bit better, ironically. And I think he has had a really decent off-season. And I think even from indications that Jonathan Ray's given us, Tom Sykes might well be the closest challenger and of course he does have the same machine so you would expect him to be the closest challenger i think he's also now had a bit of a change of mindset and he's accepting that he doesn't have the bike that he had a few years ago he's accepting that he does have to adjust his riding style to the bike and not the other way around and that might be the key for tom sykes because before he was always trying to get a bike that worked to his style as opposed to adjusting his style to the bike which is something jonathan ray does better than anybody so I think Sykes is going to be closer. Do I honestly think he's going to be able to beat Ray over the course of a season? No, I don't, but I don't think anyone is right now. I've been wrong before, but I just can't see Ray and Pereira 
and that team, that side of the garage, being beaten at the moment. I do think Sykes will be closer, though, and I do think he'll have more race wins this year. Well, outside of Sykes, uh, the major threat you'd expect would come from Ducati, but they, and in particular Chaz Davies, have flown slightly under the radar this winter, haven't they? I mean, are they in a position to challenge Kawasaki over a full season, or are the rule changes in danger of hampering them too? I honestly think, although there are different opinions in the paddock, but having spoken to people like James Whittam, who's very technical, my co-commentator at Eurosport, having spoken to Chaz Davis, having spoken with the technical heads of Ducati, it's not going to be easy for them. Now, the reason I say this is, according to the guys at Ducati, with a V-twin engine, which is what they have at the moment for one more year before they change to a V4 next year, they say the oscillations of a V-twin engine actually mean it's very easy to exceed the rev limit if you're not careful. So they have to even lose a few more revs to make sure they're not in danger of exceeding that rev limit. And there's a new box in each of the bikes this year which allows the organisers to control and check after each race, after each session, that those revs are not being exceeded. So Ducati said they're being penalised more than most. But then speaking to someone else like James Whittam, who's very technical, knows a lot about engines, certainly a lot more than I do. He says it's probably not as dramatic as they say. I think the truth of it is Kawasaki, Ducati, they're all going to say it's going to hit them hardest. They're probably going to stress it a little bit more than is really the truth. There's completely nothing wrong with that. You'd expect that, wouldn't you? And they will play down any advantage they may gain from the regulations. It sounds ironic, but Kawasaki, for example, may gain a little bit. Tom Sykes likes the fact he has more revs now in the lower rev range because they're having to find the advantage with a little bit more torque because they've lost a bit on the top end. So to answer your question, Lewis, about Ducati, I think it's going to be a bit of a struggle over the course of the season, if I'm honest with you. I very much hope for Chas Davis's sake and for Mark and Melandry's sake that I'm wrong, but... I just think it's not going to be easy. In fact, right now, I think Malandri is looking a little bit stronger because Chaz Davis has been hit by injuries as well when he had to throw himself off the bike in November at the Jerez test. Suspected brake failure, but we don't know for sure what happened. Injured his right knee, injured his left shoulder, and that's hampered him over the off-season, and he hasn't looked completely comfortable here at the test either. Then again, we never know for sure in testing, and Chaz Davis usually is a little bit under the radar. So let's hope he's up there, but I don't think it's going to be easy. Well, well, that'll be music to the ears of one manufacturer in particular, Odyssey, and that's Yamaha. I mean, with the competitive order likely to close up as the year unfolds and the rev limits are tweaked uh, based on competitiveness, are Yamaha perhaps the manufacturer best place to take advantage of all of this? And with that in mind, will 2018 finally bring a maiden victory for either Alex Lowe's or Michael Vandermark? I would say yes. I think Yamaha is going to gain more than anyone else. And in some ways, they haven't necessarily gained as, as such, but they just haven't had to make as many changes because of the way their engine already was. So they've got consistency. That's key there. Most of the personnel in the team are the same. There is a new crew chief for Alex Lowe's and Andrew Pitts, the two-time world supersport champion who was working with Randy Krumenacker and others at Pachetti last year. He knows what he's doing. Lowe's and Vandermark certainly know what they're doing. They've had a good test uh, period. They had a few little engine problems in Jerez, uh, which was frustrating at the time. And we know that Yamaha will be bringing even more updates to the tie round. So they're not starting the season with the most updated bike, but they're still going to be in a good place. They are going to be strong. As I say, they haven't had to make as many changes as others. And I think they are going to be challenging. I reckon Lowe's and Van der Mark will each win at least two races this year, possibly more than that. They're going to be regular podium contenders. And as Paul Denning said to me recently, the team manager, if you actually look at some of the latter races of 2017, 
to use Paul's words, they were already smoking Tom Sykes. They were already beating the Ducatis. It was just Jonathan Ray who's giving everyone a headache. We need to remember that. Jonathan Ray is the biggest problem for everyone, which, of course, is a compliment to Jonathan and to Pereira and to all of his guys on that side of the garage. But, yeah, I think Yamaha are going to be there. I really do. I hope they are. I think it's their time now. It's their third season with the R1 since they brought it back in for 2016. A lot was expected that year. It didn't happen. It started to happen last year. So let's see. But remember, there is needle between those two riders. They're very professional, Lowe's and Vandermark. They do get on. They do what they need to do. But, of course, both of them are desperate to take that first win for the R1. Alex Lowe's had the upper hand last year. He finished fifth in the championship. He beat Vandermark to that best of the rest spot behind the Kawasaki and Ducati riders. But who is going to get that first win? And you know what? It's funny how things work sometimes in motor racing. I just wonder whether it might get to a situation where the two of them end up fighting in a race one and two for that first win which would be a bit of a dilemma for the team because they'll want a one-two finish but those riders both won that win i think they'll be sensible but it would be a fantastic race yeah it certainly would it'd probably give our own becks a few heart attacks as well if that was the scenario but uh but anyway let's talk aprilia then the next of the manufacturers and how important a season is this for aprilia after seeing both eugene laverty and lorenzo salvadori fail to even stand on the rostrum last year very very important they probably actually with these revolution changes have lost more than anyone because just to remind you what's happening this year is that all of the superbike engines are now starting the season with 3.3 percent more rpm than their road bikes so they've all been they've all been pegged back really generally speaking it means roughly that all of the world superbike machines will have 500 more rpm than their road going counterparts the Ducati's about 400 because it's a V-twin, but more or less, it's all 500 revs more than the road-going bike. Um, Aprilia, though, have lost more than anyone because their road-going bike with this model came out years ago. So they've been developing, developing, developing over the years, and they've had to be pegged right back now to the road bike, plus those 3.3%. So it's hit them harder than anyone, really, although Laverty's looking quite strong in testing. Salvadori keeps coming out with the usual we-need-to-wait-for-the-first-race sort of quote, which to me shows he's not fully comfortable again i hope for his sake that i'm wrong but that's that's my reading of that although of course naturally you'd expect laverty to be the one challenging anyway from those two because he's a multiple race winner he's a multiple podium finisher he's been right up there before he's certainly developed as a rider since his time in moto gp as well there's rumors already there in the paddock about what that team will be doing next year will they even be running aprilia next year and i really don't believe they will i think there's going to be some big changes there next year so you have to question from one side how much will the team be pushing but aprilia is pushing and they will want results there's no doubt about it well another manufacturer desperate for results are honda after a disastrous 2017 on and off the track for all sorts of reasons um, and they brought in Leon Camier for this season. And he's been one of the standout performers, really, through the winter testing. I mean, is he the perfect rider for Red Bull Honda, given the situation the team currently finds itself in with the Fireblade? Yeah, I think Leon Camier is absolutely the man for the job at Honda right now. Not only is he quick, not only is he a former BSB champion, but he's a superbike podium finisher. He's narrowly missed out on a superbike win a couple of times. And above all, critically, he's a very, very good development rider. We've seen what he did with the MV Augusta. We'll see what Jordi Torres does with that bike this year to see just where that bike is. But I think we'll see Torres not quite where Camille was initially. Leon had three years with the bike, obviously. But he definitely single-handedly brought that team to, to the fore, really. The MV was probably the fourth best bike on the grid at points during Camille's 
three-year time with them. And he basically is exactly what Honda needs right now. Jake Gagné, no expectation at all, but I think he will surprise over the course of the season. Last year on what was a very, very difficult bike under very, very difficult circumstances, Gagné still finished in the points in five out of his six races. And even in the sixth, he only stopped on the last lap, I think it was, at Magny Corps with a technical problem. So Gagné is consistent, doesn't make that many mistakes. He's got circuits to learn. Do I think the Honda will be winning races this year? I would love to say yes. I do not think so. Will they be on the podium? I don't expect it to happen anytime soon, really. Dry weather races, podium finishes for Honda. I can't see it happening until the second half of the year, if that, because of this situation with the electronics. They're still running with the Cosworth. They were supposed to be running with Magneti Morelli, but there's been a delay there. I believe that was more from Honda's point of view than Magneti Morelli. So PJ Jacobson's Triple M team is developing the new Morelli software and hardware. And Camille Gagnier for now continue with Cosworth, which, by the way, is a very good system. It's not like it's a bad system. It's just that the Morelli is used by more people. There's more data around and long term, it probably is the way to go. The only doubt I would have now is knowing that Red Bull Honda is starting the season with Cosworth, for at least Australia here and Thailand, is there any point in switching from Aragon onwards? Or are they going to do a Suzuki 2015? Remember when they switched from Motec, which worked well with their bike, to Morelli? They had no time to test. And they were nowhere for some time. And in, in the end, they ended up saying, you know what, with hindsight, with the benefit of hindsight, we shouldn't have made this change. So what will Honda do? I don't know whether they're contractually obliged now to switch to Morelli or not. And long term, I think it will be better. But um, it's going to be... It's going to be a tough learning learning time for them. But with Camia there, with Chris Pike now there as their operations head, uh, they've got Mick Shanley there as well as crew chief to Jake Gagne. So there's some great people in that team. And Kervin Boss is the new team principal. Uh, but it's going to take time. It's going to take time. On to the team that Camia has departed, Envy Augusta, and his replacement, Jordi Torres. Um, the team's still chasing that elusive podium that they've come so close to. Uh, with Camier over recent years. I mean, is this another case, much like with Camier at Honda, another case of the rider and team just being ideally suited to each other? And RMB Augusta, another of the manufacturers, potentially with the most to gain from these rule changes? I don't think the rules are really going to hinder MV, but it's a small team and it's certainly not a factory team. There's hardly any factory support, well, if any at all. It's basically a private team running an MV Augusta that used to be supported by the MV parent company, but not anymore. How good do these bikes sound, by the way, in the background? Fantastic, <laughs> isn't it, to finally be back in action? Great that we start so early in the year with Philip Island in February. Uh, but anyway, sorry, going back to MV and Torres. I think he's just got to learn. He's had a nasty incident, though, here on Monday when he crashed at turn two and snapped the swing arm in half, which I don't think is something I've ever seen before. There's only a single swing arm on the MV, as there is with the Ducati, but he snapped the thing in half. So um, they managed to get him back out somehow for Tuesday with a repaired motorcycle. So that's a positive, but he's lost some testing time there. I think he's going to have to be realistic for now, Jordi Torres. Try not to make any mistakes and just get that thing home solidly in the top 10. And anything beyond that at the moment, I think, will be a bonus. Uh, but just start, start calmly. He's not going to win the world championship, is he? So he needs to just bank some points and learn that bike. We know it's a solid bike. It's obviously different to what he's been riding with the BMW. 
that Torres is a, an underrated rider, I think. He's twice a CEV Moto2 champion. He's a Moto2 World Championship Grand Prix winner. He's a World Superbike race winner with Aprilia in his first season, 2015, when he won in Qatar. So he's a good rider, Jordi Torres, as well as being a, a funny and, and light-hearted guy in the paddock. Does the MV suit his style? Too early to tell, really. Let's find out. But... Um, He's gonna. It's like I said with Tom Sykes before. Anyway, he's gonna have to adjust his style style to suit that bike, not the other way around. We shall see. Uh, one last manufacturer then, and that is BMW, and they welcome back Loris Baz to World Superbikes. And how big a boost is this for the series to have Baz back? And do you believe that Baz returns to World Superbikes a better and more mature rider than the man that departed Kawasaki in acrimonious circumstances post 2014? <laughs> well, I think. I mean, I wasn't in this paddock in 2014, but I think. Tom Sykes side of the garage probably made a bit more of a drama with that fast thing than there really was. I mean, if you look back at that incident in Malaysia in 2014 when the two Kawasaki's contacted and went down, it was actually Alex Lowe's who triggered that collision. Unintentional, of course. It was that classic concertina effect that you get at turn two at Sepang. Um, but, of course, there was a bit of uh, controversy and then you had the team order situation between the towards the end of the year and Baz didn't really want to give any points back to Sykes and so on and so forth. Um, but going back to Baz, I think he's a very good character to have in the paddock. He will have matured as a character and as a rider after a difficult time in MotoGP, but he, let's not forget, he had a couple of fourth-place finishes on much older and less advanced equipment than those around him. Very, very good indeed. What more did we really expect? I mean, he wasn't going to go out there and win races, was he? Up against the might of Marcos, Pedroza and all the rest of them with their full factory efforts. He's still only 25. He was like, he started racing on the scene in this paddock, Stock 600 and whatever, in what, how old? About 17, wasn't he, at the time? He was 21 when he was, well, 20 actually, when he was with Kawasaki Racing Team. 21 by the time he left. He's suffering the same issues Torres has had with the BMW over testing so far in Jerez and port him out which is that bike on a full fuel load at the beginning of the race doesn't really look after the tyre well and it comes good towards the second half of the race now that is completely electronics that's where they need to find the sweet spot with that but again it's, it's such a difficult thing to explain electronics it's not visual it's not something we can actually see it's very difficult to get your head around it but to try and give you an idea and I'm not technical but to try and give you an idea it's like installing windows on your Mac which can work people do do that but it's not quite that simple. And even then, something like that is designed as an interface to be user-friendly. All of these electronic packages are completely different. You've got different people in the team having to learn how it works. Then once you've got your head around how it works, it's developing it for different circuits and different settings. And there's so many parameters. Very, very complex indeed. That's where the BMW is struggling. Although positive is, he said, the feel of the bike, when you set up a bike, I'm not a rider, but I know when you set up a bike, you start from the front end and work your way back, generally speaking. Baz says he does have very, very good feeling with the front end. And that's why riders always refer to confidence. He's got the confidence to be able to attack a corner and not think, oh, crikey, I'm going to lose the front end. So that's good. That's a good base to start with. The BMW is a very powerful machine as well. Electronics, though, is where they're going to have to work. Baz is experienced. As you say, he's won a couple of races at Silverstone 2012 and 13. Numerous podium finishes. So... I think he's going to make good progress. He reckons he can be top five, top six this season, and he even wants to challenge for the World Championship, he told me, in 2019. I think it's a bit optimistic, but um, 
You've got to admire the enthusiasm, and if he's right, it would be tremendous. Yeah, it would be an incredible story, wouldn't it, if Loris Baz can pull it off. We'll keep a close eye on that. Just finally, before we let you go, though, Greg, how excited are you about the rookie additions to the class for this season, especially the very highly rated Toprak Razgatioglu? Uh, who's moved in at Pachetti. Yeah, four full-time rookies in the paddock this year. Jake Gagne, we mentioned him briefly before. First full-time season, of course, for him after six races last year. And as I said previously, he scored points in five of those races. You've got fellow American PJ Jacobson on the Triple M Honda. Big learning curve. His target has to be points finishes for now, no more than that. There's no expectation, really, so there shouldn't be pressure. And don't forget, he's helping to develop the Magneti Morelli software and that system as well on the Triple M Honda. So watch out for the two Americans. It's great to have a couple of Americans on the grid, by the way, isn't it? With Gagne and Peter Jacobson, so that's very good. Sorry for the noise in the background. That's the PA system going off here at Phillip Island. There you go, a bit of circuit atmosphere for you. Um, where were we? Yoni Hernandez, of course, is a full-time rookie. The second Colombian to start World Superbike races, but the first for nearly 20 years. A rider called Carlos Macias was the last one, and that was back in 1999. Again, there's not really any expectation for Yoni at the moment. In theory, though, he can start the season with all the parts, because of these new regulations, with all the parts that are on the factory Kawasaki. So he's got a decent bike and a decent team in the Pedicini team. Their best ever result as a team came here, funnily enough, in the year 2000 with team boss Lucio Pedicini on board. And Anders, though, has to target points. You can't expect any more now if you think of the might that he's got to uh, beat. Uh, and then the man you were asking me the questions about, Toprak Razgatioglu. Difficult name, of course. I've actually been told by our Turkish Eurosport commentator that you don't pronounce G's in Turkish. So, strictly speaking, it would be Kenan Sofuolu, not Sofoglu, but Sofuolu, which would also mean Toprak Razgaliolu. But to be honest, I think that just makes it sound a bit silly when we're trying to be clever pronouncing it like that. So I'm going to stick with Sofoglu and we're going to go Toprak Razgatioglu, which of course is going to end up becoming Toprak most of the time because Razgatioglu doesn't exactly roll off your tongue. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, he is going to be a contender for podium finishes this season a few times. And that might mean that he's even... I'm going to stick my neck out here and say he might even be in a position to go for a win at one stage. It might require a bit of good luck. It might need a bit of misfortune to hit Jonathan Ray and co. But he's got a good bike, a full 2018 spec Kawasaki. The Pachetti team is a very, very good, strong, well-funded privateer team. Good group of people around him. As you say, very, very rated rider, very aggressive. He will get stuck in. If he's passed, he'll fight straight back. If he's already behind, he will attack, believe me. Keenan Safoglu school of riding. He will take no prisoners. He's probably going to hit trouble a few times. He's probably going to upset a few people. But for the good of television and the good of watching from the circuit, I think it's going to be tremendous. As long as nobody gets hurt, obviously. But if we have a few angry discussions every now and again, I think it's good for the championship, isn't it? Toprak is a good character. He's the youngest rider on the grid as well. The youngest full-time rider this year at just 21. And I said a few years ago, I think he's a superbike champion of the future. We will see what happens. And I'm also going to say this. Will he become Jonathan Ray's teammate? Maybe even from next year at Kawasaki Racing Team. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it could happen. Because I was checking this with Manuel Pachetti, his team boss. Toprak is not contracted to Pachetti. He's contracted directly to Kawasaki with a two-year contract. So, crucial year for him. And I would not be at all surprised, whether it's next year or not, if we see Toprak 
as a factory Kawasaki rider in the future. I could end up being completely wrong, but that's just my feeling right now. So very, very excited. Yeah, we can feel the excitement over there, over in uh, Phillip Island. Uh, Greg, we'll let you go. Many, many thanks for joining us ahead of this new World Superbike season. It's only a matter of hours away now, and we can't wait for it all to get underway. Um, very, very best of luck for the season, and we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, thanks very much, Lewis. Pleasure to speak to you all. Uh, let's see what the weather does here. And it's going to be a busy weekend, actually, because I'm presenting the Eurosport programme as well as the commentary, because Matt Roberts, our usual presenter, is off in South Korea doing our Olympics coverage. So it looks as though he's having a great time out there. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be good fun, though. We're presenting the programme, James Whittam and I, obviously commentating, and I'm also writing this year with Motorcycle News. There goes the PA system again. I'll try and walk away from that for you. Uh, so, yeah, so it also means my Sunday nights are going to be long now, writing for Motorcycle News, but I'm really looking forward to it. And it's a slightly different angle on things when you're writing as opposed to doing television interviews. So I can't wait to get started. And uh, if you're all able to get up on time or stay up, we'll be live with the first action from quarter past one in the morning on Saturday. So quarter past one on Friday night, effectively. So, yeah, thanks very much. Speak to you soon as the season goes on. And uh, let's see what happens with the weather. Thank you to Greg Haynes for joining us on this edition of Bike Live. Greg Haynes, who was our very first ever guest last year um, on the rebooted Bike Live here on Motorsport 101, as we previewed last year's World Superbike Championship. Fantastic to have him back, and we hope to hear from him again um, throughout the season. Um, let's pick up then, Bex, where Greg left off and talk about the rookies for this season. We have four of them um, on the grid this year. Five when Rinaldi um, joins the championship at the European rounds this season on that Aruba Ducati junior team machine. Um, but let's talk about the four that will start the season. Um, starting with Yoni Hernandez at Pedicini Kawasaki, who didn't exactly pull up many trees in MotoGP or Moto2. Did lead a race, famously, at Assen um, in MotoGP <laughs> when he binned it uh, in that flag-to-flag race and tears flowed from there. Um, but he's on that Pedicini bike, Um Difficult mm-hmm. to know what to expect from Hernandez. He's a rider who has kind of tumbled out of the MotoGP, bike, uh, MotoGP paddock and kind of, by accident, found a home in World Superbikes, hasn't he? Yeah, he just kind of stumbled upon this ride, I think, more than more by luck than judgment. And that's, I don't mean that in any disrespect, but I just, as you say, he um, he never set the place on fire um, in the MotoGP paddock. But in saying that, I think, you know, everyone knows that World Superbikes is sort of equivalent to, to Moto2 in terms of talent. Um, and, yeah, he may not have set the world alight in, in that either. But he might just find his feet and be comfortable here and, and, really, and really start to cement his his name in motorcycle history. Mm. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's about yeah. it for Time, time just, will tell. You don't yeah, know. He's with the Pedicini Kawasaki team, so um, yeah, not the uh, strongest or best-funded team in the paddock by any stretch. But uh, yeah, we'll see how Hernandez does um, on that bike. Um, the three other rookies, though, I think we can expect a little more from uh, this year. Um, and Bex, I know, is keen to talk about two of them in particular. Of course, with the absence of Nicky Hayden yeah. now, um, the late Nicky Hayden who passed away last year, 
we have two full-time Americans back in the class, and both of them on Hondas. Uh, PJ Jacobson with the Triple M satellite Honda team. Jacobson, of course, who's been a regular over the last few years in World Super Sport, and Jake Gagne, who debuted with the Red Bull Honda team as a stand-in last year, and has done so well, Bex, mm-hmm. the team has given him the full-time seat. This this is amazing. I mean, it's. It, I'm so glad that he's got a seat. He's come through the ranks. He's gone through Motor America. I say made three appearances in the se- uh, series last season. Um, I honestly think that it could be a good good move for him. It's good to see that we've got two Americans back in the paddock um, because, as with a lot of motorcycle racing, I'm not just talking. Um, sort of world superbox i'm talking like most i reckon motorcycle racing in general like my beloved speedway we are sort of on the decline um of american riders so it's great that we've got two fully fledged now in the top world superbike category um and for for honda i think it's a great move i think it's it's going to be what it could be and hopefully if he does relatively well so far um, going through this season and the start of a nice long partnership because we all know Hondas love the Honda teams love good partnerships and long lengthy relationships between company. them and their riders I think they are a loyal company and they all they do tend to pick loyal riders as well and I think that it could be the start of a beautiful relationship hey sweet yeah, we hope so we hope so uh, PJ Jacobson as well um, on the number 99 on the triple M bike that's a new team um, into the series for this year um, and as Greg mm-hmm. has outlined a moment ago he's going to have a pretty big key role in that team in that they, they're debuting um, on that Honda the Magneti Morelia Electronics which the factory team had been hoping to run this year um, but haven't got them on the bike just yet so Jacobson's almost going to be fulfilling a bit of a test role with that team um, to try and adjust that bike to those electronics and um, I think it's going to be a key role just for Honda, just to have an extra bike on the grid as they look to figure out this Fireblade and, and get the best out of it on on the circuits of the world. To so have a third bike out there with extra data, um, and Jacobson, who's a quality rider, who's ridden superbikes before in BSB and ridden uh, in World Supersport for a number of years now and won races there, finished championship runner-up one year as well, uh, Jacobson. Um, I think he could fulfill a key role for that team and be a great addition um, to the series. He was 18th in free practice earlier on today in, uh, in Phillip Island. Gagne, incidentally, he was 11th. He only missed out on Super Bowl 2 because of a certain Alex Lowe's knocking him out at the last moment. Uh, <laughs> the Yamaha crashing earlier in the day and squeezing into 10th at the final session of the day. Um, but Gagne looking competitive. Um, he's going to be, I think, he's been, by all accounts, he is a quick learner. So um, I think he's a very good rider to having that team alongside Camille, who's probably going to do the lion's share of the point scoring uh, with that team. Um, the fourth of the rookies, though, and this is the one that most people, I think, are most excited about, especially Greg, who we spoke to a moment ago. Um, although <laughs> commentators probably aren't that excited about him because of how difficult his name is to say. Toprak Razgati. I definitely am. You could tell we've been practicing. Um, the, the young Turk, who is a protege of Keenan Safwoglu, um, uh, from, obviously, his native Turkey, running the same number as Safwoglu, 54, Riding for the same Pachetti Kawasaki team that Sofwoglu rides for in Super Sport. Um, and we've heard Greg talk about how good he thinks Razgati Oglu is. We've already heard Jonathan Ray speak last year when he tested for the first time um, Razgati Oglu that he was perhaps the most naturally talented rider that Jonathan Ray had ever seen um, on the same circuit as him on his first day on a superbike. Everyone you speak to, Beck, says that this kid is the real deal. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, this is that that's huge for the kid. He's got so many top nine riders already tipping him to be sort of the next best thing on the block. Um, and he's got to live up to that reputation. Now he's got to be, and he, you know, he's got to prove. And that, that's a lot of pressure going into the the season as a rookie when you've got all these guys saying how amazing you are, you're this, you're that, you're going to be the next best thing. And man, I, I cannot wait to, well, one, think of a nickname for him because there's no way in God's green that I'm saying Rasgatilaglu for yeah, we'll, we'll come up with something. I'm going to come up with something really imaginative for, for, as a nickname for him. Um, but to, to see him ride and to hopefully see the fact that he does live up to the real deal. I mean, I can't imagine that he's going to... That, that he's not going to sort of burst onto the scene in a blaze of glory and sort of everyone go, bloody hell, where's this kid come from? If He's got, as I say, he's got all these big-name guys sort of boosting him up and really, really bigging him up and putting his name on a lot. So it's going to be an exciting season to see just how well he does do on, on the Kawasaki but I mean yeah Top Rack is, is going to be what he's called yeah. for me because I just can't pronounce no, his name he's, um, it, it, close Rascatelogl- it off close it off he, he very yeah. nearly won the Superstock yeah. 1000 Championship last season um, the championship that was won in the end by Rinaldi Rascatelogl went to the final round of the championship with a chance of winning it um, but only a slim chance because he missed the previous round uh, due to injury which really did cost him um, but yeah, everyone you speak to says that this kid is the real deal. And if you're if you're being coached, if you're you're being brought up and mentored by Keenan Safoglu, um, you're going to turn out pretty good, aren't you? Um, so um, so yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing how this kid Consistent. gets on. Um, he's going to be an outstanding young talent. And as Greg mentioned in that interview with him, um, he is not co- uh, contracted to Pachetti. He is contracted directly to Kawasaki. Um, he is a Kawasaki contracted rider. So. Uh, yeah, you wonder, as Greg mentioned, whether we're going to see him on that factory bike in the future. Um, so uh, that might add a bit of added pressure onto Tom Sykes if he's not competitive this year, uh, won't it, if Razgatioglu is um, giving him a bit of a hurry up. Um, but we'll follow that through the season. It's such an exciting season coming up. And uh, just to give you the full rundown of the grid for this year, um, Kawasaki Racing Team on change with Ray and Sykes on 1 and 66. Um, we have Aruba Ducati running Davies on 7, Melandri 33. Uh, the Barney team are running Forres on 12. Patty Yamaha, 22, Alex Lowe's, and 60, Van der Mark. Uh, Milwaukee Aprilia, 32, Savadori, and 50, Eugene Laverty. Uh, Red Bull Honda, 2, Leon Camio, and 45, Jake Gagne. Um, we also have the Guandalini racing team on a Yamaha with Andre Jezek on 37. Roman Ramos on number 40 for the Go 11 Kawasaki team. Razgatioglu on 54 for the Pachetti team. Yoni Hernandez is on 68 for the Pedicini team. Loris Baz on the BM on number 76 for Altea. Jordi Torres runs the 81 once again for MV Augusta. And PJ Jacobson on number 99 for Triple M Honda. Um, that is your full lineup for World Superbikes. We mentioned Keenan Sofoglu a moment ago. Um, so I'll give, briefly give you a rundown of the World Super Sport lineup for this year as well. Because that, of course, returns this, year, uh, this weekend as well. And that was friggin' insane last year. It was so much fun to watch as Lucas Mahias um, won the title. Um, he goes in this season as the defending champion. He um, retains the number 144 as well that he ran for much of last season, um, does Mahias. Um, so he'll go in as the defending world champion uh, and was quickest today in free practice as well uh, on that team. Um, he's partnered once again by Federico Caracasulo um, in that um, Yamaha team, the factory Yamaha team essentially uh, in that squad, run by GRT. Caracasulo is on 64, Mahias is on 144. 
Um, in terms of the regular field, though, we have Safoglu um, for the uh, Pachetti team once again. Um, as he looks to regain the title that he lost last season, largely due to the fact that he was injured and missed most of the rounds. Um, he's partnered by a different team at this season. Of course, last year he was partnered um, by Kyle Ride. Um, Ride is no longer a part of that team. It's Akari Hakubo, now the Japanese, who's his teammate um, within that team. Uh, elsewhere, the NBA Augusta team are running Raffaele De Rosa and Ayrton Badovini. Um, we have Nacho Calero running for the Oralac team. Uh, the Calio racing team is completely changed. Um, they last year ran to the Amarias. This season, they brought in Loris Cresson, the Belgium, and Sandro Cortese, uh, former Moto3 champion, who was bundled out of the Kiefer team when they dropped from two riders to one. Um, Cortese will be running in World Super Sport this season. The EAB and West Racing team, don't think I need to tell you who their rider is. Um, the NRT squad, <laughs> the Nerds Racing team, uh, which is brand new to the series, are running Jules Cluzel and Thomas Gradinger for Yamaha. Uh, the Bodal Evan Bros team are running Randy Krumenacker, who's a former race winner in this championship as well. Triumph and the Profile Racing team are unchanged. They're running Luke Stapleford, former British champion, and Stefan Hill. Uh, Hannes Soma is racing full-time this year for the Race Days Honda team after winning the European Supersport Cup last year. Um, team Go 11 Kawasaki are running Michael Canducci and Lachlan Epis, who's the Australian uh, the other Australian alongside Ant West. Uh, CIA Landlord Insurance's Honda are running Nikki Tooley and Andrew Irwin, who, of course, is a regular, former regular rider from British Supersport. Uh, Kyle Smith completes the British lineup. He's at the Lorini team uh, on a Honda. He's the team to Jamie Van Sicklerus, the uh, brilliantly named Dutch rider. Uh, and completing the lineup for GMT 94 Yamaha, a team that you'll know if you follow endurance racing. Uh, they're the reigning endurance world champions. Uh, they're now racing in World Super Sport, and they brought along with them the former 125 champion Mike D'Amelio. Uh, completing the lineup then, uh, as the European rounds get underway, because we have European Super Sport Cup entries that will join the field in Aragon. Uh, they are Axel Bassani and Peter Sebastian at the Hungary Racing Team. Uh, Alfonso Coppola, last year's Supersport 300 runner-up, will be racing for GRT Yamaha as a third entry at the European rounds. Uh, Walter Sulis, who's an Italian with the Scuola Italiano team. Uh, team Hartog, which are running Rob Hartog, who was the uh, second-placed rider in the European Supersport Cup last year. And Wayne Tessels completes the lineup um, for the Wayne Racing team on a Kawasaki. World Supersport was absolutely brilliant last year, um, so we hope it can go even close to matching that in 2018 whatever happens it all gets underway this weekend with the opening round of the championship at Phillip Island um, race one tonight as you're listening to this on Friday night race two early hours of Saturday night slash Sunday morning um, it, it almost feels pointless Bex to go to you for a prediction I think we're both agreed on who we think the champion's going to be this year um, but uh, yeah. but outside of that I mean is, is there a rider in particular outside of Alex Lowe's obviously that you're looking forward to who might well surprise us <laughs> this year I mean Yamaha in seriousness could be the team that really steps out of the pack this year yeah I mean I think obviously it's going to be Jonathan Ray that wins the title I can't see it being anything else um, in my little dreamland that I go to every night I, I do dream and pray and hope that it's Alex Lowe's but we all know that's probably not going to happen um, in terms of anyone else, I think <clears throat> I'm gonna have to go with yeah, the same as you, the other ha the other Yamaha side of the camp. I think um, Mark uh, Van der Mark, uh, he's had that one year on, on the Yamaha R1 now. Um, I think he's a very quick learner, 
And I genuinely think that Alex has got to step it up because I think Michael van der Mark might have the measure of him this season mm. purely because he just develops himself on the bike so fast. So if anyone wants a, a little cheeky outside bet, then um, I'd go with our, with our little Dutch friend and I'd go with uh, Michael van der Mark. Mm. He could be a real, real spoiler. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see who wins that inter-team battle within Yamaha. So many interesting stories. Uh, can Jonathan Ray cement his status as the greatest world superbike rider of all time? Can Tom Sykes do anything to stop him uh, within that Kawasaki team? Um, will Ducati give that Panagali one great send-off um, and potentially take it to some more victories or even a championship? Um, will Yamaha come on strong this year and return to winning ways in this championship? Will Aprilia finally return to the podium? Uh, what will Loris Baz get up to on his return to the series? Can Jordi Torres give MB Augusta that long-awaited podium? Um, and the rider that I'm really looking forward to seeing, can Leon Camier return Honda to the podium? Uh, once again, I think, privately, he will. Um, we'll wait and see as the season goes on. I think he's going to be a real surprise. Whatever happens, we will be here each and every week throughout the season um, to bring you all the latest news and reaction to what happens in World Superbikes and indeed MotoGP, of course, regularly, and BSP, which gets underway um, in around six weeks' time. Next week, episode 48 of Bike Life and Motorsport 101 will be two away from the half century. Um, but next week's episode will review in full everything that happens in World Superbike and World Super Sport at Phillip Island. And indeed, um, for those of you who've been wondering, because we haven't covered it in the last two shows, we will also tell you everything that happened and uh, give our full reaction to what happened at the Thailand MotoGP test, uh, which took place last week. We will give you the full lowdown on that next week on episode 48. Uh, my thanks to all of you for listening, and my thanks to the returning Rebecca James. Good to have you back, Bex, at last. Thank you um, for having me. It's not another six months before your next appearance. Um, <laughs> we look forward to having you. Yeah, no, promise. You heard it here first, listeners. She promised she'll be back very, very soon. We hope to have her back next week um, <laughs> on episode 48. Um, that was our World Superbike season preview. We look forward to following each and every round of the season with you here on Bike Live. And we will start by reviewing Phillip Island next week on episode 48. Until then, for the two of us. It's bye-bye.